0: one man searches for intelligent conversation from Dedham Massachusetts the birthplace of modern democracy This is you don't have to yell with your host Dan Sally 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 Welcome to the home for the politically homeless in the podcast For those of you who like your politics and colors other than red and blue if you are new here, Welcome, and if you like what you hear today, please share YDHTY with just one friend you think might like it as well. You can also sign up for the YDHTY weekly newsletter, which includes a roundup of this episode and other issues of the day at ydhty.com/news. Now, we have been exploring the ins and outs of healthcare reform over the past two episodes, and we've learned that it's a problem everyone knows how to fix until they realize what would be involved in doing so. And what's more, reform has gotten tougher and tougher in today's hyper-polarized environment. So to help us suss out what middle ground might exist I asked my good friend Arjun Murthy to share some polling on the subject he ran on the Factual recently. Now for those of you who haven't listened to an episode with Arjun yet, the Factual is an online news service that allows readers to filter news by accuracy and partisan lean, whose audience is all across the country and the ideological spectrum, and his polls generally capture a good cross-section of the nation, and the comments people leave help us understand where the consensus lies. So, interestingly enough, we did find there is one thing everyone in America agrees on when it comes to healthcare reform. I'll leave it to Arjun to tell you that, and we'll be back at the end with my final thought. I'm very excited about this episode for two reasons, Arjun. Number one, because it's been probably six months since you've been on. We kind of got, uh, yeah, we, the yeah. Uh, since you've been on YDHTY, at least you and I have done many, many episodes of Unbiased uh, in between now and then. But the second reason I'm excited is because normally it's me complaining about my neighbor's lawn guy making all sorts of noise while I'm recording. And today it's your turn to have the lawn guy in the background. So...
1: It's such a first world problem, though. It's like God damn, you know. I have a podcast recording. Can't you guys organize your lives around me?
0: I never thought. I never thought about that, but but yeah, exactly. Like like the person I pay to mow my enormous yard
1: exactly
0: is showing up when I'm recording a podcast. So yeah, that's not even. That's like that's the first world problem of first world problems. So we're we're only doing it. We're only doing it to let folks know what the buzzing noise is in the background. Okay. Um, now, you and I, ch- you and I had chat about this topic a while ago when I first started recording episodes around the issue of healthcare. It's it's funny. So I recorded I recorded these episodes back in February before the war in Ukraine, and then once the war hit, there was a whole bunch of other stuff we had to explore, and so I kept this stuff on ice. There were some of the most interesting conversations I had on the subject. And there's a ton I pulled away from it. I think number one, the most interesting thing is that healthcare is, healthcare reform is the one subject everybody seems to be an expert on. So, (laughs) you know, doctors can't solve it. Hospitals can't solve it. Government can't solve it. But any other random person on the street has an opinion. And Yeah, yeah, and so I know you've run a couple polls on the factual as I was going through these conversations with Dan Gorenstein, uh, who was a uh, healthcare correspondent for NPR's Marketplace, has his own podcast called Tradeoffs, focused exclusively on healthcare, and then John Gruber, who was actually the economist who implemented the individual mandate in Romney Care and Obamacare, you know there were a couple of big sort of issues or pivot points that dictated where people fell on the healthcare debate. And I want to run through them because as I was going through these polls, you know, I just, I started to notice traces of them in there. You know, the first one is that a lot of the debate seems to center around whether you feel Americans lacking health care is a problem. And when you were going through the comments, what did they tell you about this topic?
1: Uh, that's definitely something that comes up is basically are people... Do people think that having uninsured citizens is a problem or not? And if it is, whose problem is it? So you'll see that there were comments saying, look, whatever you may think about uninsured people, the reality is they still show up in hospitals. And so if you don't insure them, they'll just wind up in the emergency room, which by the way, they won't pay for. So the costs of that are passed on to all of us anyways, in the form of higher premiums, deductibles, whatever. So you sort of have this going on. You just have it in the worst way possible. No preventative care, um, very expensive emergency care, and then we're on the hook for it. So even if you don't care about the uninsured, guess what? You're footing the bill for Mm them. That's sort of the one big camp. Then the other camp is uh, saying something like, you know, it's your choice. It's your right to decide whether or not you have care. I mean, you're for the most part, not impinging on other people's lives. And so if you don't want to go buy insurance that costs a fortune, maybe more than you can afford, why should you, why should you be mandated? So there's another camp uh, that says those kinds of things.
0: There was one too, that I thought was really interesting that I wanted to dive into a bit. And it said it should not be the case that I'm forced to subsidize another person's poor life choices overeating, smoking, etc. when I take care of myself well. And I thought that one was interesting because, you know, getting back to a conversation you and I had on Unbiased when we spoke with Michael Bang Peterson, you know, when, and again, for the listener, if you, if you haven't listened to that specific episode, uh, Michael Bang Peterson is a Danish political scientist. We talked a lot about the immigration debate in Europe. And one of the big things that we got, or I got out of that conversation was the fact that the immigration debate in Europe is somewhat more contentious for the fact that the state provides so much to individuals. And, and I think one of the things it, I took away from that is that very often when we ask the state to do something for us, we also invite them in a way to control it more rigidly. And I think that there, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but in some of the comments I went across, you know, I also got the sense that there was a level of discomfort with the government making decisions around healthcare, or I should say, discomfort with the idea that if the government gets more involved in healthcare, they will be more involved in making certain decisions for us.
1: That's right. Yeah. There was definitely in the no camp, the biggest sort of comment box was I just don't trust the government to do anything, mm-hmm. especially run. Uh, an operation as large as this, ensuring hundreds of millions of people doing that services. They're just terrible. They waste money. They're inefficient. Um, it's going to be bad, bad, bad. So that's the biggest sort of no camp, to be honest. The next one is I'm also not comfortable with governments making decisions that are life and death decisions. They should be more personal. So there's definitely a big part of that no camp. Um, the point on you know, in the no-camp, people saying, I don't want to subs- subsidize someone else's horrible lifestyle. I think that is somewhat presumptuous because what you're saying is the uninsured are inherently the worst, the least healthy people. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, I'm certain that there's people we all work with who are quite unhealthy. And guess what? They're on the same insurance plan. So you're already subsidizing their healthcare. So I don't know that it's quite right to say that the uninsured are systematically worse or on average worse than the rest of the population.
0: I think that is a fair point. And just to do a little math, America has a, a 10% uninsured rate, I think it is, and somewhere around a 50% obesity rate. So even if every obese person... Even if every uninsured person is obese, there's still like forty percent of the people running your bill up either way. So, I yeah. would say I would say that's a that's a that's a fair comeback. Um, you know, kind of building on this issue of government dictating choice as well. You know, one of the things I discovered in my conversations as well was that there doesn't seem to be a lot of talk around the trade-offs or around sacrifices that could be involved in reform. So, you know, Medicare is a great example, pays less than private insurance. And there's an argument that this might cause some issues in the healthcare system. Did you get a sense that people were willing to sacrifice?
1: I don't think people fully understand the trade-offs. So incidentally, I thought the name of that show uh, on the Marketplace Guide called Tradeoffs is a great yeah. name because that's exactly what the healthcare debate is. It is a tradeoff. You cannot get everything. And it's not clear to me that the people weighing in fully understand that, both proponents and opponents of single payer, for example. Um, so we definitely saw a bunch of comments that are just... Against socialism, socialized healthcare, very sort of bland version, like saying, I know people in Canada and they don't like their healthcare and they come down to the US for any serious procedures, which is all true. Like, really, mm-hmm. it is because the trade off that has to happen appears to be that uh, universal healthcare or single payer healthcare will have a lower level of care than the majority of Americans are used to because the majority of the Americans are funded by an employer healthcare plan that is usually better than uh, just uh, what, what a universal healthcare system would have. And so all of those people would have to be okay with the trade off saying, I'm okay that we are on a lower quality level than I get today because it will in the long run, maybe save costs, but it's also goodness because all of us are in the system now, it's a better system. And then subsequently, those of us that have money will buy optional supplemental insurance that will bring us back to the level that we want if we can afford it. But not everyone will be able to do that. So clearly, a chunk of people are going to have a trade-off of, I will take a lower level of health care because it's better for the overall system. I don't think people have internalized that. And I don't think they fully get that trade-off
0: no no i don't i don't think they do either and i think part of the reason why the conversation around healthcare is so focused around insurance is because in a lot of ways for lack of a better phrasing it's a victimless crime so because the other options are to tell pharmaceutical companies they have to charge less to tell doctors they have to make less to tell hospitals they have to make less and Insurance is a way to address the payment issue and by that address costs. And so I think that's part of the reason why that's been so, so attractive. And I would say one of the things that is missing, I think, from the Medicare for all uh, or from, from the arguments of Medicare for all proponents and, and, and excuse me a quick second here. Sorry. Sorry. Hold on my So. Sarah. So we've got your lawn guy. My wife started a family text. And so it's six people all on one text chain and invariably somebody starts fighting on it. And so right now there is a text fight breaking out on my phone. So I've had to throw my phone on the other end of the room. So I, it's probably over what's for dinner. That's usually the case. It's a, you want to talk about like the, the hot button debate in the Sally household, like dinner is our healthcare reform. Um, but yeah, get, get, getting back to getting back to uh, what I was saying as well, I don't hear a lot of folks on, let's call it the pro-reform side, so whether it's Medicare for All or some other option, I don't hear a lot of them acknowledging that there's that that there could be a reduction in service or that they could have to accept less uh, and more limitations on service in order to ensure everyone.
1: Right.
0: Kind of an aside, you know, obviously, you spent some time in Canada. Do you have your own opinion about the differences between the two systems?
1: I do. I mean, I was very young when I was in Canada, um, although I would see my parents get you know various healthcare procedures and in, it's sort of what uh, single payer universal healthcare promises, which is when you don't have really weird oddball situations, you know, just routine care, stuff that you expect, broken bone, whatever, see this dog, that dog, it's a pretty good system. Works, you get decent health mm-hmm. care, but then you come across the edge cases, and the edge cases are not great. We know a family whose child received very poor care, um, neonatal care, and ended up having lifelong complications. Now, in the United States, there would have mm-hmm. been lawsuits, and that you know insurance slash doctor would have paid out an enormous amount. In Canada, there's really nothing like that, so that family yeah. you know had to manage a lot of costs. For a long time on their own uh the, the state does provide something, but my point is it's not quite the way that the united states have it so malpractice insurance which everyone complains about uh, understandably so it's very high but there's the other side where people actually may have needed it because the doctor was coming back um, surgical procedures access to uh equipment that we take for granted you know you can get an mri in most hospitals in the united states sort of on demand maybe you have to wait a few days. I remember my father back in the 90s had to wait three months, I think, to get an MRI. One was Mm -hmm. in one hospital and we were in a reasonably populous part, but he had to travel, you know, 50K away to go get it. So accessibility to what is considered normal in the United States might be not so uh, accessible there. Um, Some of those things are definitely uh, a drag, but you know what? No one ever worried about being bankrupted because of healthcare expenses. No yeah. one ever worried about, oh, I have to go see this doctor, the in-network, out-of-network. You know, what about this copay, that copay, surprise bill? What are we going to do? Like that whole insane amount of stress that we give people is not there. Healthcare is just not even, no one even worries about it. I mean, you worry only if you're sick, but you don't really worry about the administrative and financial side. Of it, which is really nice, and so I, I don't know. You know, I think if you if you go with the assumption that I'm solving for the ninety ten, you know, then let's say ninety percent of people are happy with that baseline coverage, ten percent be unhappy. Universal health care works really well. If you're yeah. solving for the other way around, saying I really like what I have, that really I want the MRI machine next to my house and access to it every week if I want, it's going to be tough to make that work. Uh, on the other side. Yeah. It's just not going to
0: happen. I think too. getting back to a, a comment that a physician actually made on your poll around single payer, right? you know, the thing he talked about is the, the threat of a two tier healthcare system arising. And I think you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if you look at Canada, for example, if you're living in one of the wealthier provinces, you're okay. But if you're in the Maritimes, for example, you know, you're probably not going to get the same quality as you'd get if you were living in like Toronto.
1: I mean, there's definitely equipment that I think you will find missing in some of the smaller towns. No question. Yeah. You know, if, if The quality of the medical staff themselves, um, they'll be good. You just won't have access to specialists. You know, there might not be yeah. a, a oncologist that's easily accessible or someone that is a, a psychiatrist of, of some special disorder. You might not be able to see that on short notice. So I think it's really that, like I said, it's sort of, are you solving for the edge cases, the really hard cases, then a system like the U.S. or a two-tier system works well. Are you solving for baseline? If so, then a universal system works really well, but the baseline is probably lower than only on the U.S. and... Yeah, if you read the comments, it's hard. You don't really get the sense that everyone sort of internalizes that. They Everyone sort of has their rock, their pet rock. You know, it's like, I've heard this or I've heard that. Um, but it's, a, it's tough. You have to collect a lot of the comments from both the no camp and the yes camp. And then you can start to get a sense for, you know, like, for example, uh, one of the comments on the yes camp was great. He said, you know, this could be a very long discussion, but how about we just talk about preventative care is much better than curing illnesses. And, you know, if we had a system where preventative care was really enforced and widely accessible, maybe we just have healthier population, which would overall bring down the cost. That sounds really good in theory. It seems to make sense to me. I don't actually know how the math plays out. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's that kind of those are really good ideas, but when you have to crunch it all down, I don't know where
0: where the chips fall. Well, and I think the the other thing is, and this is kind of a cop out, but you know, comparing the US to every other and every other wealthy nation isn't necessarily apples to apples just because of the population size. That's right. I mean, we just have such a vast population and 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 more importantly, I think we're geographically distributed in such a way that what works in Boston isn't going to work in Wyoming, for example. And so I, I just, I, I have a really tough time thinking we would be able to do a blanket healthcare policy well, or at least do something that that didn't have a lot of state level control over it. Do you feel too like, because everybody talks about the state of healthcare, they talk about healthcare inflation, they talk about, you know the the state of the uninsured were there like i guess were there com- were there comments where people were really suffering under the current system so did you see anyone who either was was being crushed by medical bills or high deductibles or was uninsured was there anyone like that who commented on the on the poll yeah
1: there were a bunch of really good comments i mean there was one person who talked about his wife who was treated and died of cancer in her early 30s and said, mm-hmm. you know, we survived this because we had good health care coverage. But my God, if someone didn't, it would have completely bankrupted them. So that's one side. Another side saying, you know, we've seen all of our premiums go up ever since uh, the Affordable mm-hmm. Care Act or Obamacare went through. Um, because even though we're employed, the minimums required for the plan went up because they had to give minimum coverage and so the premiums went up and now they got really very little new for their money but they're just paying an exorbitant amount to the point that it almost bankrupted them because they were small business owners they weren't particularly wealthy people. yeah so yeah there's a lot of comments on both sides saying how bad the situation is um, if you're uninsured or underinsured and then on the other side if you uh, are just sort of on the customer. Financial standpoint and being forced to buy insurance—it's just become really bad. Yeah, it's—it's it's, uh, you see
0: both sides of it. Yeah, I—I I actually so a guest I had, this would have been the first year of YDHTY, probably like July I think of 2020. Um, I had a guest who had his own business. This was pre ACA, and actually had to close up shop once the ACA was implemented because wow. it just, yeah, it he is, is, is premiums just went up. I mean, now granted, who knows what kind of insurance he had prior to that and whether, you know, whether the coverage was adequate, but I'm not going to begrudge anyone who, you know, anyone who's personally affected by a piece of legislation, I'm not going to begrudge anyone for having a bad taste in their mouth over wow. it. You know, I mean, one of the one of the things i when i spoke with john gruber one of the first things i did was i thanked him because my son's a diabetic has a pre-existing condition and his life would be so much more difficult if he weren't guaranteed health coverage in first massachusetts where we live but secondly now we can move out of massachusetts thanks to the aca so you know i tend to fall probably more in the pro camp when it comes to making sure everybody has access. Do you get a feeling like, from the from the polling, is there some consensus on healthcare? Like, is there some middle ground or are people just either like hard yes, hard no, based on what you saw? Yeah,
1: so all of our polls have a, uh, you know, there are yes, no, unsure, three options. And um, mm-hmm. so, you know, in, in the first one, should you have a single payer healthcare system that's 48% no, 43% yes, so pretty even split and about 9% yeah. unsure. And then when we asked a very similar question around, should there be a public health insurance alternative? There it was heavier on yes. So sort of as an option, they said 64% said yes, 27% said no, and unsure 15. And so if you look at the comments around unsure, I think that's where you can sort of see the semblance of some middle ground. So in general, what you see is that people, want universal health care because they realize that there are lots of benefits for something where everyone is just covered. Like enough with the mania of, you know, you're not covered, but you show up and anyways hit the system and all these other things. But I think they realize that it's a little bit like asking to have your cake and eat it too, which I hate that now mm. because of course you want to eat your cake. But, um, you know, it's something like, you're saying, do you want this? It's like, yeah, I want it. I just know that it's really, really tough uh, when you do the details. And I don't know if we can afford it in the form that everyone has in their mind, which is the Cadillac of, of health plans. You might have to take something less and I don't think everyone's internalized that. So the unsure camp, which is somewhere between call it 10 and 15% of our base. And as you said, you know, it's a good cross section of the United States. Maybe that's the start of a middle ground where they're saying, yeah. we want improvement. We want reform. We think going towards a universal healthcare public option is a good thing. We're nervous about the details. If you can make the details be clear and honest, then yeah, we might have to bite the boat, but we can get behind it. I think that's sort of what I was seeing.
0: Well, my final thought on the issue is that the only correct answer to either of these polls was unsure
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> because it is a thicket. Yeah. It is a thicket of regulations and agencies and yeah. competing interests.
1: I think this is where, you know, we all know that this discussion is fun and academic because it's unlikely to see a whole lot of change um, mm-hmm. with the gridlock that we have in Congress and this particular issue being such a hard one, even if it's not because of political or polarization, it's just genuinely hard. I think what will help is if we could ever have a leader who was seemingly unbiased, who was just saying, look, it's not going to be roses. I can't give you that. This is what I can give you and speaks with real credibility to that. And maybe people get around it. I think what we have now is one camp saying you can have it all and it's not going to cost that much. And the other mm-hmm. camp saying there's no way in hell. Do you know how bad it is? Like we have it great. Of course, we'll make some changes, but come on, everyone wants what we have in America. And the public has this uneasy feeling like I don't buy either end. I don't think we have everything great. But I also know that someone's saying that it's all going to be amazing with universal health care it just smells wrong i
0: think mm. that people
1: are there so we need someone to present us a real viable solution that's a little ugly but a real one
0: it's it's a, i mean it's a tough one and this is this is one of those things it's it's one of many issues that i've talked about where democracy almost works against itself in a way because how do you get the when the majority of people are covered how do you get those people to vote against their self interests right. for the sake of ten percent, like it's just it's and it's not the right way to think about it. But it's just the it's just a fact. It's a very difficult political lift. Add to the fact that the political environment has gotten so polarized that nobody in their right mind wants to be associated with such a hot button issue. Yeah, you know, I can take, I can, t- I mean, I can take, I can continue in my nice. Comfortable job at a prestigious university, and not have to get doxxed by people on Twitter because I tried to solve a problem, which is like legitimately the issue now.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, so let's see. I, I think the good news, if anything, is that both the yes and the no camps generally said the current system sucks. They just had very different mm-hmm. ideas of what would fix it, versus the unsure mm-hmm. camp saying. I feel like we should go towards universal health care. I just don't think it's all worked out. But the sort of uniform dissatisfaction at the public level, I get the politicians might say it's something different, but in the public, if you read it, nobody re- replied saying, I think our current system is great. What are you talking about? Nobody said that of the hundreds of comments. So I think there is a level of dissatisfaction that is pretty broad. And now it just remains to be seen how can we present a viable alternative that doesn't promise something that's not possible? Um, Mm. And I don't know if the examples of Australia and Switzerland where they're, you know, sort of basic options, and then you have supplemental insurance, which I think is what Obamacare was trying to do. Um, I don't know if that's the middle ground. It's hard though, because you do get the selection bias of, you know, a lot of people already have the, the much nicer plan because of work. And so then the people that are not uh, on the plan or on the basic plan sometimes do have worse self outcomes. So I I don't think it's, it's not easy, but I think that's where you need some sort of leadership that's trusted. saying, so yeah. I'm going to give you the real cold, hard facts. It's not going to be pretty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with you there. Well, I'm glad my dog made a cameo. We have it all. We have the lawn guy. We have my kids fighting on text. We have my stupid dog barking at people walking outside. So I feel like we've covered a lot of ground and we've had all the cameos. Arjun, thank you for your time. It has been too long, at least so.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Dan. As always, a pleasure.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please consider leaving it a review. And as always, if you did not, please keep this between us. You can sign up for YDHTY's weekly newsletter at YDHTY.com slash news and find the factual at the factual F-A-C-T-U-A-L dot com. So the one thing all Americans can agree on is that our healthcare system sucks. In this sense, we are at step one of a 12-step program towards reform. Now, from there, it seems your opinion on what to do about it depends on whether you think people not having healthcare is a problem and whether you think the government would do a good job solving it. Now, I am generally of the opinion that ensuring everyone isn't just the morally correct thing to do, but it actually ends up costing us in the long run. And if we go back to our earlier episode with John Gruber, that was one of the big drivers behind Mitt Romney supporting the individual mandate. Now, unlike other markets that are dictated by supply and demand, people generally don't wait for the cost of treating a bullet wound to go down before seeking help, and we end up paying the cost anyway. Now, from what I've learned doing this podcast, it doesn't seem that the federal government is always good at these large-scale projects either, and if we look at the episode with Nathaniel Baum-Snow in September of last year on infrastructure, we learned that the interstate highway system amplified structural racism and contributed to the urban blight that plagued cities in the latter half of the 20th century. The Eat Yourself Sick episode with Chris Basso, we just republished last month taught us how U.S. agricultural policy has contributed to the obesity epidemic in a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. So it seems like market-based solutions like the individual mandate are our best middle ground and the ones most likely to have the desired effect without creating a self-interested bureaucracy in the process and without invoking the law of unintended consequences, as we saw in the aforementioned two spending initiatives. I am always open to feedback on the subject, so feel free to email me at heydan, that is H E Y D A N, at com with your thoughts. As always, music courtesy of QuellerTac. YDHTY's Director of Continuous Improvement is the Admirable Admiral Adam Yaffe. YDHTY is produced in loving memory of the big geno, Jason Putney. Until the next, this is Dan Sally. Oh, bye bye.